0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Vinod Shandar, CEO and founder of OneHouse, a cloud-native data lake house solution that's raised $33 million in funding. Vinod, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brett. Pleasure to
1: be here, and I look forward to our conversation today.
0: No problem. So let's dive in. To begin, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm a database and distributed systems engineer by trade. I had a master's degree at UT Austin, and then I started my career at Oracle, working on the RDBMS server, their data replication products, and uh, then more on to LinkedIn, where I was a tech lead for LinkedIn's uh, key value store through the the whole social networking kind of era, right? And I kind of like I say, talk about it, I realize how old I am. And uh, then I, uh, you know, LinkedIn, and it was very fun. I got to Shouldered all the responsibility for like a very popular social networking site and got the time there. Then I moved on to Uber, where we built the world's first data lake house in 2016. Before it was even called a data lake house. We called it Transactional Data Lakes back then. Then uh, to Confluent, which is, you know, the event streaming uh, company based out of uh, Apache Kafka. I was a principal engineer there, working on the cloud product and several other areas, until I founded one house the first chance I could to work on data lake houses. So I've been essentially doing databases and things around data for like all my career
0: so far. I see you are at Uber from 2014 to 2019. That's a probably was a fascinating time to be part of it, right? I think. A lot of the drama happened there, what, in like 2017, probably. So you were there for like those early days for the drama and then, yeah, for I think the new CEO when he came in. What was that like for you working at Uber during that time period? And and what did you walk away with? What were some of those lessons that you learned? Right. It's a great question. And yes, I was there for the highs and the lows and
1: the highs again. And, you know, first of all, it grounds you, you know, you learn how success and, you know, other. Not so things can happen, and how, and it also teaches you resilience. I feel because during let's say twenty seventeen, I was one of the among the first two hundred engineers there. So as you can imagine, during those times, you know there are a lot of tough conversations in the company. A lot of different engineers coming and asking me for, hey, what's going on? You've been here longer, things like that, right? But end of the day, I think we were building a very solid product, which was creating positive value in the world, and then. The company had enough resilience to sort of like, you know, whether that storm and become sort of like what it is today, right? And uh, I'm like incredibly proud of being, you know, having been part of that journey. Professionally, the biggest lesson I took away from that is essentially I've seen a lot of kind of stalwarts kind of like uh, with great credentials and they're very smart and also not, they were not able to replicate the same success that they had before, but I've seen people who had very unassuming, humble beginnings actually learn their way and become absolute rock stars in the company. So for me, it taught me to sort of like take people and culture very seriously and kind of invest in people as, you know, I'll tell you, my own company here.
0: A few questions that we like to ask, and the goal here is really just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one is, what CEO and founder do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Yeah, so... Maybe like a little bit of a out of left field answer, but
1: I really admire Linus Torvalds, like the creator and the engine behind the Linux movement, right? It's basically shown how in open source, you can build open source software, it create immense value on top of it and persevere over long periods of time. Well, pretty much, you know, this open source operating system rules the server landscape right now, which was kind of unthinkable. Some 20 years ago, or, or even right.
0: What about books? Are there any specific books that have had a major impact on you as a founder?
1: Yes, I think I have a couple. The first book is this book called The Journey is the Reward. It's about, it's basically a biography about Steve Jobs and it kind of talks about the highs and the lows. And again, what it takes to bring kind of like a new category or like a controversial idea to market and sort of how the journey itself. Just having to have the chance to do something like that is rewarding enough, right? That was like very early. I had no idea I would start a company or anything. And when I was reading that book, it was just like fascinating for me to read that. More recently, just as I try to navigate the market and try to sort of, the, I'm, the, I'm the box learning to be the hedgehog when it comes to go to market. So Crossing the Chasm is like a great book where it talks about specifically, you know, having whole products and before you go to market. And as a newer category, we're trying to define what that whole product is. So that book helped me a lot in terms of framing and internalizing some of the what we're going through from a go to market standpoint.
0: What's so fascinating to me about that book is that it was written in like, what was it, like the eighties or early nineties? And it's still Totally relevant today, and despite everything that's happened, you know it's still just a, a highly relevant book. Which uh, I don't know. For me, I just thought that was really interesting. The first time someone recommended that to me a few years ago, I was like, "What am I going to learn about innovation and technology from a book from the '80s or the '90s? Like, what's the point of it?" But I was uh, I was wrong. It's a great book. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's switch gears and let's dive deeper into One House. So let's think about this like the elevator pitch. What's that mm-hmm. high level overview of what you do?
1: Yeah, we are building the faster, better, cheaper cloud data infrastructure for the future. That's what we are about. And at the core of it is a data lake house that we build. And it's faster because our technology, this project called Apache Hoodie, which I started at Uber and as like, you know, industry adoption at this point is, you know, brings in faster data processing. And our product that sits on top helps people realize these data lake houses faster. And we are, you know, orders of magnitude cost efficient for certain workloads, like ELT workloads, when you compare to, let's say, traditional data warehouses or even premium query engines. And we are better because we actually decouple your data from your query engine provider. So for long, right, in the database market we've been living in this world where you go to a query engine vendor and then they lock you into a format and we're trying to build the other way which is what we've seen in in our five years four years of open source journey before the, the company which is people want to decouple how they store and manage their data from how they want to access it So we are essentially setting up for that better cloud data architecture for the companies of the future.
0: For those who are non-technical, can you just provide a high-level overview of what a data lake house is?
1: Yeah, I can probably use a very real example of how we created this. So this is Uber, you know, 2015. As you know, fast-growing company, and we had a data warehouse, and then we had a data lake. So the data lake could only store, you know, small amounts of data, more curated, one-leaded BI data lake, Could do large amounts of data and it could process a lot of things, but it it was very slow and inefficient. So, what we did was we took some core functionalities of the data warehouse and added it to the data lake. And essentially, that architectural pattern where we take the data lake, which is your cloud storage, and other database like layer on top of it, it gives you transactions, indexing, all the database capabilities it now supercharges your data lake. And that's basically what a data
0: lake house is. Got it. Super, super interesting. What was it like getting your first paying customers? That's obviously something that all startups and all founders struggle with in the early days. So if you reflect on those first paying customers, how'd you pull it off?
1: Yeah, for us, just to take a little bit more time to explain our product and kind of the open source roots and everything, right? So we've had, you know, we started this open source project where we built the first data lake house there. And we open source the project from in 2017. And we've been building a community towards that project. So for us, when we announced an amateur of stealth in 2022, there we had a mix of people where there are some open-source users who are like, hey, I have these 3 d data lakes, but I am building a lot of custom infrastructure around it. Too, so can you help? So that is one set of users who reached out because we already... They know us from the open source project. Then there are other set of people who just like reached out to us for, hey, I am sold on this lake house idea. How do I get one? Right? So that is actually the core problem that we solve, which is if you want a data warehouse today, you go sign up in a browser window or you download a tarball and you're off to the races. But if you want a data lake house, you need to kind of integrate some 10 different, and I'm not kidding, it's literally 10 different open source projects and build one yourself. So these people are like, I'm sold on the Lakehouse idea. Now, can you take us there faster? So we were, I think for our first customers, I think we are in a good, I would say a fortunate point where we had a lot of inbound interest right out of the gate when we launched.
0: This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Can you give us any idea of the growth that you're seeing today and just any metrics and numbers that you could share?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Brett. So on the growth, I think first I want to talk about the open source community growth, right? So first, like if you measure, I think uh, uh, recently Redpoint published a usage dashboard across all of these open source projects, and we actually rank number one amongst open source database category. So the community, the open source project is growing really well. There's like, you know, we, our Slack community is pretty vibrant. And then that is something that is like core to our DNA, like what I was talking about, this growth is something that we want to continue doing, and we want to make sure the you know data engineering, data science community has an open source project which can kind of help them accomplish more by doing less. That is what the the hoodie project is. They help them build data houses. For our commercial product, we have a pretty good pipeline, and we're working through users, small and large. And I think we are building up very steady momentum uh, this year.
0: As you've brought this product to market, what's been the single greatest challenge that you faced so far that you've overcome?
1: Right. So for us in terms of gold market, I think like every other company, product market fit is like, you know, how do we achieve that? That's obviously the biggest kind of problem that we're tackling, right? And in our case, the product category is there. There is data ingestion, there is data optimization, query engines, like it's already, you know, established. And it has a very big market as well. Right. So, and which means we could be building in many different directions and targeting many different types of users. So narrowing that down into what, you know, as a small company, we can focus as an initial wedge, again, and the beachhead, borrowing from the Crossing the Chasm book again, is being the biggest challenge. And we had like, we've it down to like three customer profiles kind of today, but we started with something like, you know, seven. And then we try to see if, we tried to experiment with it and we took a lot of calls in different segments to actually narrow this down more and more and crystallize the value proposition more.
0: And if you look at the market, there's just a lot of noise. Obviously, there was a lot of you know money that went into startups in 2021 and maybe early 2022. So there's just a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of noise. What are you doing from a marketing perspective to rise above all that noise? Right. So we aren't doing marketing
1: yet, I would say. So what we are doing is mostly developer advocacy. And we are being so far, if you go to our site, most of our blogs are we're genuinely trying to educate the market now because this is a new category that we're trying to build. And then most of our marketing efforts, quote unquote, has been around, like, you know, trying to help people understand why you should set up your cloud data architecture a certain way, right? And what are the benefits and sort of things like that, right? And the other interesting challenge for us specifically is we are in a space where we, you know, we have a lot of cloud providers who are supporting lots of companies using building data lakes. There are, I would say, a handful of like data vendors here, like big and small of different sizes. And as a technology, what we are building is kind of mainstream, which is the data lake houses. People are, I think at this point, the market's convinced that if you want to build a data lake, you're going to build with this you know, category of technology, right? So how do we rise above like this? And how do we kind of fight FUD in a lot of different cases? As a small team, that has been a pretty interesting challenge. Again, I think in a lot of the, these cases, the open source community really helps us because it helps us kind of like point to large data lakes that are being powered by our technology which you know helps us actually cement our you know, messaging and the value proposition that we bring
0: as I mentioned there in the intro, so far you've raised thirty three million. What have you learned about fundraising throughout that journey that it's always uh, complicated <laughs> maybe like right? so yeah anyway, on a more serious
1: note, I think, you know, we've actually seen a lot of, I would say, you know, a little bit of a drama as well, right? In our races, at least with the seed, where there was a very large data vendor who had to push off like a top tier easy of the seed round. And, you know, when, yeah, like, docus and all the code, like we've seen like a lot of drama early on. But I think over time, you know, interacting with lots of people in the VC community and trying to also understand where they're coming from, I think this is the takeaway I had. First of all, you need to be clear with yourself on why you're going to win. And then, you know, make a case based on the data, right? And go with VCs who, you know, back you on your convictions backed by data and are willing to take a bet on it, right? So I think it really starts from you first, would you invest in your own company and why? And if approaching it from that standpoint, And going with the the people who really believe in those ideas and the directions that you're taking, I think that will set you up, I feel, for success down the line.
0: What was the biggest challenge you faced as you transitioned from being a technical practitioner to a founder and CEO? A lot of people listening in are, I think, in a very similar place and they want to make that jump. What advice do you have for them or what did you learn as you made that leap yourself? Yeah, great question. And I think, first of all, there is a
1: definitely a mindset change, which is if you are an engineer and you've worked on, you know, like at least my background, I worked on, you know, LinkedIn during the hyper phase, Uber from a more earlier stage to a, through the entire through IPO. And if you look at Confluent, even earlier than that, right? So Even there, you have a lot of work, you have a lot of chaos, you learn, you know, kind of project management through that. And, you know, those skills have really helped me manage complexity and chaos, because as you go into this founder journey, that's going to be like probably 10x of what you're dealing with in a later stage hyper growth uh, company, right? So that is one. So that skill set is really, really important. Number two, as an engineer, probably you are, if you are like a really top-tier engineer, you're used to winning a lot, right? But if you go into go to market and go into these newer kind of verticals and functions in the company, we need to be like you know humble and grounded to sort of like you'll fail. You have to course correct very quickly or learn new things out of your comfort zone, and that's a really important thing, right? Because engineering is very objective. A lot of cases where you plan a project, you deliver on time, right? But for example, sales isn't like that. You need to really, really experiment it may be like a couple of weeks, it'll feel like nothing's working. A couple of weeks, it'll feel like everything's working. The truth is somewhere in between. So really internalizing like the success and failures on like a micro level is really an important skill, I would say, for anybody,
0: any technical founder. Super useful. Now, final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's that big picture vision that you're building? Actually, funny,
1: like I was, you know, looking at That thinking about that this morning. And I went back to our vision from 2020 that I had shared with investors even before there was a company. We just have the exact same vision even today, which is we want to bring to life an interoperable cloud data plane. So we want, and then we want to be best in class in terms of managing data and then, like, sort of like bringing data in and transforming data that we just steadily building towards that vision while we test for and we we hone our product market fit and sharpen our GTM skills around that. I feel we are about fifty percent there. And there is the other foot hasn't landed yet, proverbially. And I think our next year is all about completing this product story
0: around this. Amazing. I love the vision. We are up on time, so we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if any founders listening in want to follow along with your journey as you build and execute on this vision, where should they go? I'm on Twitter
1: as Byte underscore RA, and very predictably as a database engineer. Yeah, that'll be a good place Connect me on LinkedIn. We share uh, and, you know, if you're interested in the company, please check out our blogs,
0: onehouse.ai slash blog. And that's basically what we're building. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I really enjoyed this and I know the audience is going to as well. So really appreciate it. All right, thank uh, thank you for having me. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.